Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hi guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about Graduation Day Part 1, the first part of the two-part finale, and holy smokes, I can't believe we are here. We are at the end of Season 3. Wow, what a ride it's been, and I feel like it's flown by. I know we've been saying this like every episode for the past like six episodes, but I have thoroughly enjoyed dissecting every single episode in this season, and I think it really speaks to how good each of the episodes were. Not that I didn't enjoy some of the funnier ones in season two, like Bad Eggs and such, but it is so enjoyable to delve into and dissect an episode that has a lot of depth and layers. There's just so much to explore. And so I don't know. How do you guys feel about being at the end of season three? It honestly feels kind of surreal. Also, sorry, I was sore throat. <laughs> when we get savvy next week is me. Um <laughs> It's crazy. I think it's insane that we're ending the high school period with her and with the whole show just because it's like the first three seasons are very iconic for a good reason. They're they're great, you know, coming of age. And I think the show just progresses so much past high school that it's like, yeah, I feel like it really does feel like you're graduating with these characters. So it's like, oh, you're leaving high school behind. And so it's exciting because there's so many great things about the later seasons, but it's also sad because the I feel like the first three are really nostalgic. All right. Well, before we uh, move on, I have a little announcement to make. We have our live spoiler section for um, – I guess technically the whole season, but mostly focusing on the prom and then graduation day, part one and part two. We have a date. We will be doing our live spoiler on Saturday, June 4th at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that will be 1.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we hope to see you guys there. We'll um, have our link available on our Instagram and it's just going to be really fun. It was an absolute blast last year, except for when David came in and completely crashed <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> no, Don't worry. I won't do that again this year. <laughs> oh, thank you. Good. No, it's totally fine. Everyone was super great and just bounced right back. But it was a blast. It was so fun to hear from all of you guys. It was fun to talk about um, mainly Angelus and Angel and Buffy and kind of like delve into each of the characters and where they're going to go in the future. And I'm really excited to do that this year because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about with Faith and Buffy, a lot of spoilers that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet. Um, and I always love hearing from you guys and your different perspectives because it's just fascinating and I always learn a lot. So again, that's June 4th on Saturday at 1130 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we'd love to see you guys there. So if you can make it, definitely, definitely look us up. And as always, we have David back with us, and you are our number one most requested guest by far, and I hope that you're going to be coming back more in season four, because I don't think that can be bad at all. I definitely will. Season four is one of my favorites, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm in, I've been enjoying uh, coming on more regularly in season three, and maybe everybody wants to hear me, so... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Hello to my invisible fans out there. <laughs> Wait, season <laughs> four is one of your favorites? Then we'll definitely need you on because it's not one of mine. Yeah, you are in the minority <laughs> there, my friend. There's a lot to talk about, and I just like ripping on Riley. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Who's Riley? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Riley? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I asked myself after I finished. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Leah's like, Who's that blonde guy? Oh, I remember Riley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Leah can remember the blonde dudes, but not the blonde girls. We'll, we'll save some special episodes for you, like where the wild things are. And, yes, um, <laughs> definitely. That will be a good one. What was the other one? Oh, All Beer Bad. All favorite episodes. Beer Bad, oh, where gosh, the wild things bad. are. Beer Bad, though, if you take it satirically, it's really funny. <laughs> New Moon Rising. I don't Rising. think that's how it's intended to be taken. I know, but that's why it's funny. <laughs> All right, so Graduation Day, part one. This is season three, episode 21, which is absolute bonkers. It was written and directed by, of course, Joss Whedon, aired May 18th, 1999. So during the original airing of this episode, the first trailer for Angel was shown. It lasted only four seconds with David Boreanaz turning towards the camera and the words Angel, colon, this fall appearing, which, I mean, could you imagine? Ooh, what a tease. Yeah. (laughs) You're about ready to go into the episode. You're like, wait, what the heck happens to Angel? What's going on? Kind of um kind of gives away a little bit, I feel like, for this episode as well, because it ends on a cliffhanger and you're like, oh no, what's gonna happen to That's Angel? True. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't think about that because he could have literally died. Yeah. Yeah, he could have. So fun fact about this episode and also the next one, Joss was actually writing the script for this episode and part two while they were shooting the episodes. Harry Groiner, the mayor, says this. For the last two episodes, we didn't have a script. We were given synopsis at the end of the evening about what they were going to film the next day, but no words, no script, no anything. They just said, come on in, and when we have it, we'll give it to you. I've always had a script. There's never been just a synopsis. You go to work, you get ready to work. What Joss was doing was actually writing it as we were traveling, getting there, and we'd wait. Finally, they'd say, we have the first scene. You get the scene, then you'd go and rehearse it. They'd light it. And while they were lighting it or rehearsing it, Joss was over there in the corner on the set, literally over the corner, writing the next scene. You think, well, that I've never seen before. You're amazed that that can happen, especially now when you have a room full of people deciding on one little thing. That's fascinating. Is that insanity? That's stressful. That's yeah, that's so stressful. I legitimately sure. think I would vomit. Like I would, I would want to like memorize all my lines the night yeah. before and be like totally ready and just not knowing what you're going to say or what you're going to do until immediately right before. Well, would it's be also so hard to put like yourself in that mindset of like let's say that they have something super serious, which they do in this episode, yeah, each right. character, and then they have to like get in the mind of where their character is at really quickly. Like that's actually super impressive. Yeah, I think it helps. And Joss has said this before. I think it helps because he was the director as well. So he could go in there. He didn't have to have somebody else translate it. He could go in there and be like, I had this pictured in my mind. I know exactly how I want to shoot this. He also knows his actors too. And I think this also speaks to the unbelievable talent that was on Buffy. These actors were all able to just grab it and go, okay, I know how my character would act in this moment, especially SMG. Like what the heck the the way that she's able to get into that mindset and that zone for her character it's just it's absolutely incredible and i i applaud everybody for being able to work in those circumstances i would say by the end of season three 
uh, Sarah probably knew Buffy better than Joss did. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I think that really rubbed Joss the wrong way in a lot of ways as we're coming to find out. I think he's like, I'm the writer, so I know what's best. And Sarah's like, no, Buffy wouldn't do this, you know? Especially, yeah, some of the um, the decisions like are things that he wants her to do and then the pushback she gives him and like taking it kind of over his head to the producers and then getting things approved or not approved, I think really definitely rubbed him the wrong way. Well, the fact that, um, like we have, we talked about it in the spoilers, but there's even the costume um, lady, uh, forget her name. She talks about how she felt caught in the middle between Sarah and Joss so many times because Joss would be like, no, this, this, this. And Sarah's like, that's, I don't agree with that. And um, Cynthia Bergstrom is her name. Cynthia would often side with Sarah, but she's like, I don't want to lose my job. And so it just, yeah, we talked about how behind the scenes, it creates this really stressed environment. Well, and even like, I'm not going to give away anything, but even some of the stuff that I know that she's pushed for, I'm 1000% on like SMG's side when it comes to Buffy's character and the stuff that they were trying to push on. Not like clothes, meaning like stuff that feels out of character, sure, but just stuff that she felt very strongly about. And I'm like, so grateful that like, and I think like following SMG at like their like social medias for years, like you can kind of tell what type of person she is. And she's very like, she sticks to her morals and she sticks to what she believes in such a admirable and strong way. And I really love that. I feel like Buffy kind of gave her a voice and a standing to do that as well. And I'm just like, sometimes I'm just so floored about stuff they hear about in the Buffy atmosphere where she, um, stood her ground with stuff that she believed in because she knew the weight of Buffy's character and she knew the weight of the show and the people that were going to be watching it were predominantly younger women and they needed to be seen in a way and represented in a way that gave them the power as well. And um, yeah, I just, the fact that she felt very strongly about something that may seem kind of minuscule to other people or to Joss or whatever, like just makes me, appreciate her that much more you know i thought um when you have a an actor or an actress who's so wrapped up in one iconic character like um smg with uh buffy or like mark hamill with luke skywalker um their entire identity as like themselves not the character but like themselves gets kind of uh intertangled with the character a little Mm -hmm. bit and then when you have something like uh, The Last Jedi, where <laughs> vehemently disagreed with where the character was and the writing decisions and um, like a lot about that movie, like it must be heartbreaking for an actor whose yeah. entire adult life has been so wrapped up in this character to then have a writer um, who, you know, just kind of waltzes in and then decides, oh, actually, we're going to take your character in this super unexpected way. And you're like, what? Like, but I would never do that. And sometimes it gets hard to separate yourself from the character because you're like, well, I disagree. And I am Buffy or I am Luke Skywalker. Um, But you're also handcuffing the writers, too. So it's kind of, I don't know, that would be super difficult for me, I think. I think it's also different too because there's, I think there's a difference between a movie character and a show character. Like, if you're taking a a movie character, it's like, yes, of course they were really involved in the role, but like, Mark Hamill was Luke Skywalker for four films, I think, because he's in the later ones as well. But like, really, the majority of his life was three films. Buffy was 
I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar was Buffy for seven, eight years. Like, and Buffy was really morphed into Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sorry, guys. I cannot talk right now. But (laughs) you really, like, I think that it's okay for a character to say, like, I don't think my character would do that because a lot of times the writing, like, kind of adapt. I mean, even, like, a lot of the characters and friends, like, they really did become kind of their character by the end. And, like, um, I mean, we see that a lot in shows, like, where the writers adapt the writing to the actor or actress because it just is better that way sometimes. And so I do think that it's okay for her to be like, I don't think my character would do this. I don't think my character would say this. Because at this point, the character really is attached to her. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of actors don't want to revive their character later on because they're so afraid of what their character will become, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have the person that helmed it initially. Um, and then on top of that, there's this whole idea of like, then, then, well, I mean, that's why you see so many actors become producers on the show because they they now have such a voice into their character because they've lived them. And I, I really always think it's very interesting that none of the actors, especially SMG, never became a producer on Buffy. And I don't know if that was ever offered to her. And I don't know. It's just crazy. I just, I think about how toxic the environment was. And the more, the more that I learn about it, the more I am just absolutely impressed and blown away with how professional Sarah Michelle Gellar was and how much she poured into the role all the way to the end. All right. So this back to the episode. Um, This episode is the conclusion or mostly of Buffy's wrestling with her shadow self. And Mark Fields talks about how Buffy needed to confront and integrate with her shadow self before she could confront the mayor, just like she did with Cordelia in Homecoming. Um, And I mean, Joss has referred many times to Faith being, I say in quotes, the vessel in which the show explores everything that they want to with Buffy, but can't. Um, and Joss has made it very clear. He will never take Buffy to that line of where she crosses over into evil. Um, so they decided to explore that with Faith, which I think is a really interesting take. And so this episode is the culmination of a season's worth of all of that. Um when this episode aired, I was actually looking up a lot of reviews and a lot of like the media and stuff criticized the episode saying that the buildup to Faith and Buffy's confrontation was too slow. And I completely disagree. I understand wanting to have more Faith in Buffy, but I think that they did it in a really good way. Um, and I think it's also – it depends upon – how you view the show because I view the show as it's about Buffy. So anytime Faith's in there, she's in there to kind of reflect and show an aspect of Buffy. And so they're going to take their time and have like Earshot, for instance, where we really delve into what makes Buffy separate from Faith. Um, and so I feel like it's earned by the time we get to this this episode. But what do you guys think about that? Do you think that it took too long? You know, I think that Buffy as a show itself has – really grown in hindsight when we look at it as uh, in the context of the show as a whole. Um, Because a lot of the more subtle things that Joss Whedon writes into the the script um, can be missed the first time you view it. So I I could understand how critics maybe as they were watching the show week to week um, missed some of the more subtle things and some of the more like character driven moments, I guess, because they're like, Oh, well we, you know, kind of wish we could have gotten to the action first, but when you're watching it now, what, 20 years after it aired, um, 
the character moments are really the ones that cause us to come back to the show and why we love the show so much. Like if, if the only reason why everybody loved Buffy was just the great action scenes, it really would not have lasted as long as it did. Um, we would think of it in other, like other um, shows like, uh, I don't know, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or something like that, where it's like, oh, that was cool and fun, but you know, it doesn't have this huge cultural impact. The reason why Buffy has such a huge cultural impact is because of the character moments, is because of the the inner conflict with Buffy and with Faith. And I think spending more time reflecting on that was a good choice, but maybe a little underappreciated uh, in the moment, but has now become much more appreciated in hindsight as we look back on, on Buffy and how, how much Buffy meant to the culture now, both then and now. I feel like watching the show week to week, I forgot, like I noticed more so like, oh, Faith is not in it as much as I thought she was. So I can understand when you're watching the, the show like so far apart, like week to week, like how it used to be watched. Um, it can feel like, oh my gosh, it's dragging. But like when you actually watch it as a whole, it does not drag. It like I really feel like if it went faster, it would have felt too much. It would have felt like there wasn't a good escalation. I feel like it really made sense for Faith. Like graduation part one, I feel like in some ways for me personally, I almost prefer watching this one than part yeah, two. Yeah, same here. Oh, really? I feel like that's like unpopular. I think it is unpopular, but honestly, like normally the part ones are like, okay, all set up yeah. for the second one. But this one, I I just I like the conversation. I, I think I, I like yes. the dialogue. I love like where it's leading. And I feel like every series finale, there's like a big fight. And I prefer yeah. this quote unquote big fight to the next episode's big fight. This feels a lot more intimate and dense and it feels just heavy. Like every every punch feels like, woo, I felt that in my soul. This episode has the more cliche finale feel because of the the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it feels a little more personal versus, you know, the next episode. But we'll talk about that when we get there. We're here yeah. now. Um, so we start out in the school hallway. I love like the different um rotations of this scene because we start out with like Cordelia talking to Xander. Um, they're talking about like the color of the robes. Cordelia makes a comment about how like this does nothing for her complexion, which is kind of what Buffy says later on in the episode. Yep. I noticed that they mm-hmm. both talked about how they don't look good in maroon, which is hilarious. Um, Xander says they're probably going to die in it. <laughs> you know, normal small talk things. I will say, I think this is the first time that I've seen a conversation between Cordelia and Xander, and it happens a couple times this episode, yeah. where they just are cordial with each other. They're mm-hmm. they're all they're like relating. They both are upset about something, but it's not at each other. Like they're both slightly snarky with the other person, but it's like neither one is taking it personally, and the other one's not taking it too far. I was like, I really enjoyed this. I think this is their version of um graduation goggles with each other. It's like they're not going to mention that they like are like, oh, we used to go out, you know? Um, but they're like, let's just be nice to each other. I was just going to say, I think it's more so about the fact that they're finally at peace. Yes, And I they're agree. both just kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, like we've Moving made up. On. We're just talking casually about the stuff that happens because we're both in high school together. Right. Well, Xander bought Cordelia the dress and I think that was – like the Whedon way of him apologizing and then Cordelia accepted that apology. And so I think because everybody made up in the prom, we're all unified and in a good place to move forward in these next two episodes. And I really enjoy it. 
And then Willow's like doing the actual like graduation goggles. This is so funny because I feel like this is like, yeah, it's a little bit of an extreme harmony coming up and then them acting like buddy buddies. But I remember some of those conversations with people being like, I don't think I've ever talked to you and you're asking me to send your yearbook. <laughs> okay. I had the Buffy experience. We're like, I literally was like, no, graduation goggles ain't doing nothing for me. I knew exactly what I was going to hang out with outside of high school. And I was right. Yeah, I had zero graduation goggles for high school or college, honestly. I had less for college, for sure. I, I well, was checked out a like, year beforehand. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is costing me a lot of money, and I just like to be gone. For real. I think it's different when you're paying for it. You're like, you guys suck. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> These wrenches are worth $35,000 a year. Well, it's also different too when you live there. When you're so like – you can't get away from these people. You're like, I just want to go away and be an adult. There's so many rules and things you have to follow versus when you're in high school, you can go home and yeah, you're still under your parents' roof. But like you're used to that. You get home-cooked meals. Yes, that too. (laughs) Your own bathroom. You're just miserable. You can leave your stuff in the bathroom and you don't have to carry it out with you every time. Yes, 100%. The only thing I had graduation goggles for in college was sports. So I was like, oh, I'll never get to do organized sports mm. again. And, and that choir. was super sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss choir. Well, I did choir in college too. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the outfits, I don't know if you guys noticed of this episode, are extremely important. And we've talked about Buffy's outfits in particular at length. But her outfit in this scene is a huge contrast to her outfit at the very end of the episode. Even up until the moment where Angel gets shot, she's still wearing kind of like that baby blue. And after that point is when her wardrobe becomes a little bit darker um, and she goes back to the leather and stuff. Also, I thought it was really interesting that Buffy's coming up to Willow and she's talking about how, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'll miss stuff, but graduating just isn't that big of a deal to me. You got a piece of paper and nothing changes. I don't even think I'm going to go. Versus the contrast to when she's talking to Wesley later on and she says, I think of it as graduation. I think at that moment, it actually hit Buffy. She's like, okay, I understand what graduation means now. She's accepting the change that's ahead of her. Um, And I think Buffy's whole life has been fraught with change to the point where something like this isn't that big of an adjustment for her as opposed to someone like Willow. It's because Buffy's had to take on so much more responsibility from such an early age that graduating high school is not even remotely up there on the list of like important things to her. You know, she's, she's like, yeah, well tomorrow I'm still going to do Slayer things just like I did yesterday. And the only difference is that I'm not going to be in class. Um, whereas not that Willow doesn't have other things going on, but like since Willow's been so focused on academia this entire time, um, I think it feels like a much bigger deal to her because now her life will really will be changing. She'll be going from high school to college and then, you know, whatever it is that she wants to do after college. Whereas Buffy's like, eh, well, I'm going to be the slayer tomorrow and there's going to be demons to slay just like there is today. Right. Well, mm-hmm. on a metaphorical level too, we see Buffy go through a radical change in this episode. It's all about the assimilation of her and her shadow self. And so right now she's like, eh, nothing's going to change. But by the end of the episode, she's like, fully ready to adopt Faith's persona and even her, um, not, I won't say ideology. I feel like that's kind of harsh, but like even just like some of the things that Faith has been kind of trying to get Buffy to change and be more like Buffy's like, all right, let's do this. Like I'm, I'm fully ready to accept that graduation into my new self. Yep. 
already having some of these really great conversations. Like, oh, I don't even know what to say now. Um, So we find out in the school, like, lounge area. I never know what it's called. I guess we're almost done with high school anyway, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But um, they all sit down. And then we find out that, like, they don't know that the mayor is the speaker. I didn't even realize that. They find out right now when Xander comes in and tells them that. And the looks on their faces is like, oh, shoot. Because they're thinking, like, Buffy's going to, like, either tag team like going to the graduation fighting the mayor or just skipping graduation in general but the fact that he's going to be the commencement speaker is like that's got to be horrifying well it's a personal attack it's mm-hmm. he's coming to their place i mean it's the same feeling you kind of get when he comes in the library later it's like there's no separation between their slayer world anymore and their normal world I like the fact that he's going to be the commencement speaker just because I feel like since she's not wanting to be there, I feel like now she's thinking all the people that I've been help saving this whole time, but just because they're people, um, I care about these people and like I have to be here and protect them and I have to go to my own graduation with the people that I've been with the past three years for her, but four years for everyone else. And also sometimes, you know, like for my college graduation, I didn't, I didn't want to go. I was like, nah, it's a waste Same. of time. I got to sit there for everyone else. Um, and then my mom and my wife were like, oh, you got to go. It meant more to them. Um, but I also remember that, you know, once you get all dressed up and you're sitting in there and then the music's playing and all your favorite teachers are giving speeches and everything, um, you start to, it does start to mean a lot more for you when you're in there. So maybe that's kind of how Buffy was, where she's like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. I just won't go. And then kind of being forced to go, it's like, it, it starts to hit you after a little while. Like, wow, this actually is important. Yes. And it does mean a lot. 100%. Um, so maybe that's kind of what she was going through a little bit there. Right. Well, it's really interesting because I actually discovered this whole concept actually for your your and Catherine's reception because David and his wife, they actually ended up eloping. So none of us went to your actual wedding, but you had a reception about a month later or so. Um, and it was really interesting because I was kind of like indifferent. I was like, whatever, like – it's fine. Like when I say you'll, you'll just be married, it's no big deal. And I think it's important to remember, like our family tends to be really kind of chill with big things like that. Like we don't like a lot of pomp and ceremony. Like I wanted Mm -hmm. to miss my high school graduation. I didn't care if I was going to, you know, like we just don't care about those things, but I'm recognizing that they are actually important. And and because things like getting married, things like graduating Mm -hmm. are huge deals and there actually is a change that comes after it. And so it's important to have a ceremony and something that makes a very clear distinction of we are no longer in the past. We're moving to something new. And as humans, we need that. Our brains literally need that thing to mark a change and that passing. And so I think that for Buffy in this instance, like it is important for her to recognize that she's graduating because so much is going to change for her on both the Slayer side and also in the human side as well. Well, it's also just about celebrating. It's about stopping and celebrating the fact that you made it somewhere. And I feel like Buffy, more than anyone, needed to celebrate her graduation because most layers don't even make it to graduation. And I think Buffy gets so caught up in, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter. It's just graduation, whatever. It's nothing big. It's like, no, like the point of a graduation, the point of a wedding, the point of whatever ceremony there is, is about celebrating something. And I think it's so important to have those things because otherwise, like, everything that we do is just kind of played off as not a big deal. Even a funeral is about celebrating someone's life. Like, I don't know. It's so human. 
to like yes, celebrate even is. the small stuff. Plus, I think it's such an important thing um, to sit there and be appreciative of where you're at and what happened before jumping into the next thing. Like every everybody nowadays seems to be so um, driven to like get through life and, and to, to make it and to move on to the next thing. And I'm guilty of that as well, for sure. Um, that sometimes it's good to be forced to sit there and be like, wow, high school was hard and it was four long years and it was some really good experiences and some bad experiences. So let's sit there and like what Leah said, let's celebrate that and let's dwell on it and let's make it a big deal because it is a big deal before being immediately like, oh, well, college comes next or job or whatever it is that you're going to do, you know, it can be easy to just jump into that next thing without actually taking that big breath, uh, the, the sigh of relief that it's done and celebrating the fact that I achieved this, this big accomplishment. Absolutely. Life is full of moments and the journey. Like that's just all life is. And so it's good to appreciate where you're at and where you've come from, because at the end of the day, all we're left with is our experiences you know, so learning to celebrate them is actually like really good for us. So on that note, um, <laughs> the professor gets murdered by Faith. Oh, yeah. This, this scene, scene is like, oh, like we talked about like poor Sky Sky being murdered. But like this poor, innocent professor, seemingly nice man gets like murdered by Faith in such like a it feels very violating is the word i'd like to say like mm -hmm. i don't know it just like i was like oh like i forgot how like just sinister it is and he's not even a demon he's just yeah. a nice old professor that likes dinosaurs yeah he's he like studies volcanoes and stuff um it was really interesting because i never caught this but faith's outfit is an exact mirror of what buffy's is going to be later on um She's wearing the black tank with the red leather pants, and she even has like a black leather jacket on. It's not – her white tank is slightly different than Buffy's later on um, or her black tank. But I was like, oh, that is really interesting imagery because it is only in this scene and then I think when she comes back to the mayor's office that we see this outfit and that's going to be mirrored later when Buffy takes the knife to go murder Faith. And I think they're making a really interesting correlation there. Um, back at Faith's apartment, it's all sunny and bright. The mayor is kind of tidying up Faith's um, like blankets while she's getting changed. He asks about Mr. Worth is the professor's name. And she just makes like a joke about it. I'm like, oh, like that's just – I don't know. I get These it. These two scenes are so jarring because they they're are. so different. I think it's supposed to show both sides of – um, faith, just like they're going to show. Well, that she's lost, that she's still young. Like even in the yeah. in this scene, it's like I'm sitting here and I'm like, this feels weird in a whole different sense. Like he's he's treating her way more like a child here than he ever has this entire season. Like he's talking about how like she's a vision, um, how all the boys who survive will line up to ask her out. Like you know, it's a funny <laughs> line, but like. I don't know. It's just yes, her to like put on a dress yeah, and, and it's pink. You know, it, it doesn't fit. It yeah. doesn't look like her. It's like mm -hmm. I don't know. It's so it's also so odd. like the dress. It's cute, but it's also the silhouette is very young. It's not, yep. like there's nothing. It's not sexy about it. It's it's very cute. Yeah. It's a cute dress, but like it's weird because 
we've always seen Faith as very sexual. Mark Fields talks about in his book, the mayor says something really interesting that I did not catch, but I thought this was really cool. He says to Faith, not you, in response to her saying the dress is not really her. He says, let me tell you something. Nobody knows who you are, not even you, little miss, seen at all. The ascension isn't just my day, it's yours too. Your day to blossom, to show the world what a powerful girl you are. And Mark Fields talks about how, again, on the metaphorical side of this, Buffy had to assimilate Faith before Faith assimilated Buffy. And he was saying that this is Faith, because I've I've mentioned many, many times how I think just as Faith is an aspect of Buffy, Buffy is an aspect of Faith. They're two sides of the same coin. So here we see Faith trying to have kind of like what a life that Buffy has. This is her starting to dress maybe a little bit more like Buffy. She's starting to have more of a father-daughter relationship with the mayor, similar to Buffy and Giles. And so here, the mayor is saying, you can be more than what you are here. You can be more like Buffy. And it was so important that, according to Mark Fields, that Faith didn't make it to the mayor's graduation day, to his ascension, because it's possible that Faith would have beat Buffy and she would have been the one to assimilate Buffy, if that makes sense. So I just thought that was really interesting. These speeches are important through the lens of Faith's Faith's character because you really feel the innocence, quote unquote, in this speech to her. Like he gives her like this sweet fa- sweet father speech, um, talking about how like she's gonna become something great, that like she doesn't know who she is yet, and that's okay. Like all these things that young people need to hear. I really feel like yep. there's a lot of pressure on younger people to kind of have everything figured out as soon as they turn 18. Um, or even like right after college, it's like you're still so young. You don't know anything about yourself. I didn't even really start to know anything about myself until I was like 22. That's like a good couple of years after this. And like, and I know that's different for everybody. People find themselves earlier or later and that's totally fine. But like she's a child. Um, and I love that he just kind of like says that. And I feel like she's already had so much pressure on herself either that's like unfairly given to her or that she's added to herself in general, especially like because of Buffy. Um, But like he kind of brushes her hair aside and says no father could be prouder and her face is just so full of just like comfort. The script actually says she looks down. She's never been confronted with such a selfless display of affection and she's Mm -hmm. not sure what to do, which I think is really interesting. It's so sad. And it kind of makes you think, kind of like what Tyree was saying, that like these characters are way younger than um, I guess the situations make them seem. It is kind of sad that you you see somebody at 18 who feels so self-confident and like they have everything put together, but they're so easily manipulated by a grown-up, by um, an authority figure uh, into doing exactly what that authority figure wants. I think it does add an extra layer, though, that both the script and the way the actors are communicating seems to indicate that the mayor does actually care for Faith in a way that's not necessarily self-serving. Um, and I think that adds a really cool complexity to the situation. Um, and I think that's going to be really interesting, interesting to address in the next episode mm-hmm. once, you know, the mayor, like he kind of realized that something was going down with Faith now. But yeah. because he actually cares for Faith and Faith cares for him, like how that's going to play out, how that's going to affect Buffy. But yeah. I just love that they made that so complex and nuanced. Yep. Outside the school, Will's like rolling up with her bike, and then Percy runs up. Oh, Percy. Percy, love him. 
like he's like he's like um he's like a uh, Rosenberg. <laughs> I love when like people just he's call like each other by the last name. <laughs> he's like I'm a scholar. <laughs> Gets like a B minus on history, and then he's like immediately like, all right, well now I'm gonna go forget everything. <laughs> well, before that, I love that like because I don't know, it's so funny the subtle the subtleness of his um respect and or like scaredness of Willow. Yeah. Because like while while they're talking, he's like showing her and he's being all proud. Like this part's like normal. It's like sweet friendship. And then she leans down to like kind of like chain up her bike and he leans down with her. It's like so like fluid the way it happens. Like it always reminds me of um the king and I. You know how the king is like, uh, your head can't be higher than mine. So even yeah. when he's dying yeah. on the bed, everyone has to be like sitting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Queen but, like, like that just I always think about that with like the the level of people's like eyes is really important in television and TV. Like if someone's talking to somebody and there's like this profession of love and it's like, I've seen, I can't think of one right now, but I can picture somehow this happening. But like, like if someone's sitting down, someone will crouch down with them. It's not like they'll just stand there and like (laughs) awkwardly tell them they're in love with them. It's like they get an eyesight because it's like souls that are connecting, you know? I mean, obviously Percy and, Willow or not that case but in this case it's more of like he's like in tune with her because I think he's somewhat scared of her still (laughs) so the fact that she's like squatting he's like squatting down with her she stands up he stands up with her like it's just really funny well I also think like it says in the script like he says in a quieter voice "Um, and thanks for not (laughs) you did the bronze I think he doesn't want people to know that Willow (laughs) killed him and then Willow's all like you know Percy that was actually and then she thinks and she's like for your own good. <laughs> well, she's like, I could see her being like, I should tell him. And then she's like, you know what? It's actually for his own good, too. He's like, what's the thinks. harm? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Way to own it, Willow. He's clearly a better person because of it. So I'm going to let him think well, that I'm a badass. Well, his response is, I know, I know. Like, I really needed that. You know best, Willow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not trying to risk another showdown. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then Oz comes up. Percy walks away and then Oz makes a joke about like how the like he might die at graduation so you might not need to remember it. I could so see, dark, like, man. <laughs> I think it I think it's important that they kind of talk about this in this episode because Willow's like, okay, I need enough of the cryptic like boyfriend comments. Like, I need you to kind of show me a little bit more. So relatable how she's like, I need you to freak out. I need to know yeah. that I'm not the crazy one, that my emotions are valid. Yeah, totally relate with that moment. Honestly, like, that is super relatable to me, too, because that's exactly how I am. <laughs> like, the worse things get, the more I react with humor. <laughs> <laughs> and then my wife is is like, why are you not stressed? And I'm like, I'll make a joke. And she's like, you're not being stressed is stressing me out. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I feel like I, I get really stressed out, but I feel like when I am stressed out, I kind of react a lot like Oz, where it's just like I'll make jokes or whatever. But I also have my moments where I'm like Willow, too, where I'm like, no one make a joke, girls. I will literally blow a gasket. <laughs> and so I think it's just interesting to see how different people are coping. I was – um. I make jokes in the most inappropriate times too. I was in therapy and then we were getting somewhere really deep. <laughs> I literally said, I was like, I, I felt myself losing the window of being vulnerable, <laughs> like easing into my humor. And I literally said, I was like, I literally said to her, I was like, I was like, sorry, I feel myself um getting into that stage where I'm only going to be joking. <laughs> 
about stuff that actually is painful and i don't think that she really knew what to say after that oh no I think it's it like was that gone. tiktok sound it was where it's gone. like everyone laughing and then they're like oh no but really it's serious <laughs> I, love, I love that sound <laughs> <sighs> but the, but the yeah. funny part too is even in that stage there's no going back like i'm not gonna be vulnerable after that like it hits waves but even in that joking time i'll joke about stuff that's completely accurate though and then i'll just laugh about it and then move on everyone's like um, let's revisit that please you're like wait 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 <laughs> what was that real quick tabby <laughs> It almost makes it funnier too because you're like, this is supposed to be super serious. That's what and makes I'm definitely it not allowed to laugh. But like, those are the best times when you're not supposed to be laughing and then mm-hmm. everything is 10 times funnier at that Well, point. it's interesting. I've been, you know, obviously very, I mean, is anybody surprised? I've been very caught up in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. I've been watching it and stuff. Same. And it's interesting because I've been listening to body experts and stuff and they're talking about mm-hmm. how when someone is telling a story, you actually can tell they're being truthful. They kind of laugh about it a little. Like they're kind of like Johnny when he's re- Johnny's been delaying. doing a lot of that. <laughs> well, no, but like when he was talking about how she threw the bottle at him, he kind of like looks down and like gives a smile, which is he goes, if Johnny was acting, that's not a choice you make as an actor. You think, oh, we don't smile about this, but it's a trauma response because you kind of can't even believe that what you're saying actually mm-hmm. happened. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because for me, when I'm super stressed, like I'm in an argument, I laugh. I Same. it's my trauma so bad. I I'll, well, Andrew and I will be like going at it, and I all of a sudden will start laughing because I'm like I I don't know what to do with all these repressed emotions. And Andrew's like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, I don't actually think this is funny, but I just like it's so weird. But anyway, it's turning into a therapy session. <laughs> uh, this part in the class was so funny. So like they're standing there. This is the same teacher from um I only advise for you, Mr. Miller. Yes, mm-hmm. he's also the same guy from Anne. This okay this part where he like is sneaking out this reminds me of um you know the episode where ross and rachel break up and friends and they're all stuck in the room and then after like hours they're all trying to leave really quietly and they're sneaking out yeah i don't know like the, the way he's walking because like they make a joke about how joey's like walking all weird because he's trying to be all quiet the way that xander comes in he's trying to be so sneaky but it's dead silent in the class like just walk in at that point this part was so funny because Mr. Miller's are like, I realize you've all finished your finals and you're ready to move on, but you haven't graduated yet. This is still a class. I was like, I These were my least favorite uh-huh. teachers was when you're in high school and they're like, they're like, you guys still do pay attention, blah, blah. And I'm literally like, oh, just fail me. I right. thought that Mr. Miller was kind of joking though. I thought that speech was like him joking. And then all of a sudden, like they pan over to them playing like Kingman. Bro, I didn't get that vibe at all. I thought yeah, he was Yeah, no, he was so serious. serious. That's such a teacher thing to do to be like, this is still a class. And then he, it's, yeah. I mean, he's like, haha, they always go for the E or whatever. I was like, this is a guy that takes his job way too seriously. Seriously. Well, and then we have like a Xander and Anya moment. I really feel like we've been starving for this. I feel like we've had like one and it was brief. And then all of a sudden they went to prom together. Like I feel like this is a very needed interaction. And I really loved every one of their interactions. Like you could tell that they like – they melded together. You could tell that he's a little bit soft to her, that she's like in a very endearing way trying to figure out like what to say and their whole dynamic. Like it really worked for me. I, I just really like them both together. They're my uh, one of my favorite pairings. It's so funny because they're such an unlikely pairing because Anya like mm-hmm. hates men and Xander was technically the first person that she cursed. So it's kind of like 
funny, or I guess she didn't technically because Xander was Cordelia, but it was because of Xander. Um, but I really like how he's kind of brutally honest with her in a non hurtful, like misogynistic way, at yeah. least at this point. He's just like, would this be along the lines of you telling me about all the men you destroyed back in your demon days? Kind of <laughs> calling her out and being kind of like, I don't really want to hear this. And well, like and then well and then she says like, hey, like I'm trying here. You don't have to take my head off. And then he's yeah. like, oh I'm sorry. He apologizes. Yes. Hmm. Right. <laughs> he apologizes for this. <laughs> I also feel like though if there's anyone who can understand where she's coming from it should be him considering how many spells he's freaking casted because a girl hurt his feelings. Well, yeah. and she kept trying too. Like every time he wouldn't really answer, she'd be like, whoa, we could do something else. Like this girl really has a bad for him. Yeah. Which it's funny because again, graduation change, all this stuff. I think Anya is experiencing these emotions for the first time and she's like, what is this? Which has got to be so jarring. Um, in the library, Buffy – is showing Giles the paper that she found about the professor. She says it screams faith um, while simultaneously Giles <laughs> is reading it and then fencing and winning for <laughs> Wesley. Oh my gosh. I think this has got to be like my favorite little scene right here where he's like, even like the way his feet are pointed is just very proper. And then Wesley's doing the absolute most. And yet like, oh, it's so funny. This episode, I really feel like Giles is a mystery to me. Like, I was watching him the whole episode, and, like, his looks, I'm like, I don't really know what that look was. I disagree. I feel like Giles was pretty straightforward to me in this episode. Yeah, I agree. He was kind of stoic. Like, in every scene, he was kind of, like, I feel like he was giving, like, not as much of emotion as he normally would in each episode. I don't know. He was kind of a mystery to me. The biggest takeaway I have for Giles, and we'll definitely talk about his big moment in a, a few minutes, but... I really appreciated how Giles has been, especially in this episode, taking a step back and letting Buffy lead. And like in this one, Buffy's the one going, hey, I think this is the thing in the newspaper. I think this is homework. I think we should do this. And Giles is kind of just going along. And again, with her rejecting Wesley and the Watcher's Council, Giles pointedly makes it about Buffy and makes it about her decision while also indicating that he is 100% behind her. And I think this is part of the graduation theme, right? Buffy's graduation graduating from underneath the authority of Giles and the Watcher's Council and Giles is watching it happen and he's like, yeah, go. This is what you're meant to do and I love it. We're also seeing a stark difference between him and the mayor who the mayor is holding on tighter to Faith and not letting her graduate and think on her own. Whereas Giles is very much like, yeah, Buffy, you decide. This is your choice. I mean, kind of like Sarah said, like he waits to talk about like the Watchers Council until Wesley talks to him. Like he lets Buffy make every decision on her own and follows her lead. Giles becomes more of a partner than a mentor uh, after this, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's because so much has happened to Buffy this season. Um that she's grown so much and in some ways she's grown kind of away from him and also grown to not need him and rely on him anymore. And uh, some of that is a little sad and, and, Buff and Giles did some of that to himself, like by poisoning her and stuff. But um, also I think he's, he's proud of her and he just sees that she's grown up and that she doesn't need him as much. And now they can work together rather than her working for him. Yep. Yep. All right. So what are your guys' thoughts? And then this will kind of go in later about the fact that 
the mayor sent Faith to go kill the professor, which alerted Buffy and Angel, which we find out later was kind of intentional because they wanted Angel and Buffy to be there so they could shoot him. But they completely pointed them in the right direction. Do you feel like that was a super huge misstep on their end or? I think they're just getting sloppy. I think they're getting cocky for the Mm -hmm. fact that they're going to win. And I think that they're just kind of having fun now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think the mayor is is definitely overconfident. Um, And he's like, oh, well, you know, we'll take out Angel. Um, I don't know. It it is a little stupid. Like maybe he could have just planted a fake, you know, clue. Um, just gone or just kill a random some, person. Yeah. Yeah. Kill some random guy, you know, right. and then pulled off the whole shooting angel thing. Uh, you didn't need to like clue Buffy in by killing somebody who's actually important. It was sloppy for sure. Yeah. I love that Wesley is like behind. He's like, oh, by attempting to keep a valuable clue from us, the mayor may have inadvertently let us write to it. And Buffy's like, what page are you on, Wesley? We got there already. And he's like, I know yes, he's like well. a couple paces back. <laughs> and he, it's so interesting to see the difference between him and Giles. He goes, yes, well, you go tonight, look over his apartment, anything worth noting, report back to here. And then Buffy makes fun. She's like, I love it when you take charge, you man, you like. She already knew what she needed to do. She's the one that's mm-hmm. actually coming up with this stuff while Wesley is out there just like sword fighting. Like it's just – You know what I love? It's so good. I love when women make men feel stupid in certain situations like this. Like when they're trying to uh, like uh, um, assert their like male dominance and then the, the women are just like, sure, yes, I'll listen to you. And like – and everyone knows that they have the power. I love those moments. And there's so many Buffy moments like that in this series and I just live for them. It's like – Wesley, why are you here? Why are you still here? Like this is all leading up to Buffy firing him. But like at this point, Wesley's presence is only to highlight the council's pointlessness. Like that's all it is. Well, and then Xander brings in Anya. Anya tells him that um, what they've seen these past few years aren't actual demons. They're hybrid versions of demons. I remember the first time I heard that. I was like, I know. Such a cool twist. We haven't seen any real demons yet. Like that's crazy. Well, and then she, the way that she talks about it is so creepy. She's like, there was a sorcerer who achieved true ascension back in the day. He decimated the village. Only about three people survived. And then Giles was like, oh, I read up on him. He had he was a four-winged soul creature. Um, and then she doesn't give too much detail about what they look like. I really feel like they build up the tension super well because she just mm-hmm. ends the scene with, um, for one thing, they're bigger, which is such a good – description before you you kind of like scoot on to the next thing because you keep thinking about that. And then we're like, wait a minute. So there's Snyder and there's the mayor and they're walking around like looking at all the chairs set up and it didn't kind of clue in for me until like three minutes into the scene when I was like, wait a minute. This is at Sunnydale. Like, does that mean the mayor is on campus? And then we had that next scene in the library, which to me is probably one of the most like shocking moments because even I don't think even Angelus was in the library at all. Like he was in the school, but we didn't like the, the library feels like the inner sanctum, you know? I kind of wish we had Angelus in the school um, before he killed Jenny because then I feel like ever be on campus. I liked it because I feel like I've always hated the fact that they just never thought to meet in someone's house where vampires can't go. Yeah, it's like, true. let's meet at the school late hours where anyone can enter at any time. Right. And I like it because it does show where they have gotten cocky as well. 
Well, um, Angel appears at the school first when he tries to kill Willow, right after he turns into Angel. Oh, you're right. Yes, he did. All right. So then the mayor strolls in and this scene is jarring. It gets me every single time. And I think – I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing is not just that like the mayor is impervious that he like walks right in. It's the fact that the Scoobies don't really have a plan. They just heard that he's just going to be massive and he's going to be pure demon. And like, it's like the more we hear about the mayor, the scarier it gets, but there's nothing to well, help us. A lot him. of these scenes just feel very violating. Like he walks yeah. in and you're like, Oh, you should be here. And the fact that he's even making a speech about the fact that, like, this is where they concoct all their meetings and plans, like, that – when you kind of break that seal and that wall, you're like, ooh, like – Well, not to mention it's also, like, they've learned so much about the mayor, but it's only scary stuff. They haven't found a weakness. It's only, okay, he's going to get bigger. This is when it's going to happen. All this stuff, nothing to fight him. Whereas he has all this information on them, their weaknesses, where they meet, what they talk about because of faith. And the fact that they can't even beat this version of the mayor, like he walks in and they're all there. <laughs> right. They literally have weapons and they still can't beat him. And they're like, man, if we can't beat this version, how much more powerful and scary is he going to be after the Ascension? I think it's absolutely brilliant that Buffy, as soon as she sees the mayor, grabs the newspaper and puts it behind her, especially because the mayor goes and grabs one of the books off the table. It's Mm -hmm. just such quick thinking on her part. And I was like, well done, Buffy. Like, There's got to be something that you guys can do to prevent him from learning any further information about you. Well, he's really driving more into the creepy sinister vibe, but then he like squeezes in like a joke. He's like, "Oh, that's kind of sweet. Different kinds of races coming together." You're like, like, "Shut up!" The one thing that you pull out of that entire (laughs) thing, ah, and then this whole this interaction, I Mm -hmm. is got to be on my top ten Giles moments. Mayor says. That's one spunky girl you've raised. And Giles has murder written all over mm-hmm. his face. And the mayor, both Leah and Tabby, you guys have talked about how we haven't really seen the mayor snap yep, too much. Like in choices, it was a little bit. This moment was terrible. He like growls it out. He says, I'm going to eat her. Ooh. Well, and then Giles does not hesitate. He And I love how they bring in like the fencing sword because you're thinking, how is he going to grab like a weapon this quickly? And he grabs it and then slides it in. That thing, like, woo, slicks into his body. I just want to know if he took off the blunt point or, like, the tip before he hit him in the chest. Because if he didn't, Giles has some strength on him then. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Well, and then he pulls it out and he, like, lectures him. And then he takes out a cloth and then, like, cleans the sword, even though there's, like, zero blood because of ratings. But, you know, it's okay. (laughs) Because of ratings. (laughs) Well, the music that is playing in this moment is actually from Helpless. It's the same music with mm-hmm. Crowley. strings, I recognize yep. it. Yep, so creepy. Well, and then he says, like, don't worry, some deaths will be quick as he scans over at Buffy's friends. Um, and then he, as he walks out, the angle arches up to make everyone in the Scooby gang look small in that yes. scene. Yep, foreshadowing right there. Mm-hmm. And they probably felt small too. Yeah. You know, like this guy walks into their, their bat cave basically. And then just like verbally trounces all of them, gets stabbed and doesn't even act like it matters. And then walks out. I would feel pretty small too, if that happened. Um, Xander walks out of the library and um, bumps into Anya, who's running out saying that um, Xander should 
run away as well, that he shouldn't stay and help. Anya's like, if there's a lunar shuttle going up to the moon anytime soon, I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, I know that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, she's such a coward. But it's like, you know what? From her perspective, I I don't even fault her. Like, there's going to be a huge thing. Like, no one is willing to leave. I'd be like, bye. But like, what am I going to do? Well, from her perspective too, Anya has been immortal. Like she could just go to a mm-hmm. demon dimension. She could go do something else. She could probably teleport, whatever. She is completely mortal and she's feeling all these things for the first time. And I love the contrast even between her and Xander, someone else who is equally as mortal. And he's the one going, no, like I need to stay here and fight. And Anya's like, I, I'm scared. I'm getting out. Well, I think I love that contrast because she's lived for what we've heard over a thousand years. And the fact that she's mortal now, I think the idea of death freaks her out because she's like, yep. well, I've lived like feeling like invincible. Um, whereas the contrast between Xander, even we see that in Zeppo where it's like he kind of plays with fire, plays with death because he's kind of accepted that part of his life. Um, and I really admire that about Xander. I know. Whoop. Well, that was weird to say. What is um, this? <laughs> no, but like of all the things, I do admire the fact that Xander has fully embraced that part of his life. No one's asked him to do anything for the Scoobies. Like he's willingly done a lot of things for them and put himself on the line for people and like for himself. And for the most part has been very willing to do so. Um, and he's only had one life and he's a teenager. Yeah. And the fact that he's sitting there being like, no, like I'm going to stay. And he has he has very calm demeanor this whole episode too, which is very weird to see. Like he's very calm, he's very assured, he's very like at peace with what's about to happen, but also willing to fight as well. I think it's hard to blame her too much because she is still technically a demon, and she's only been um, in human form for half a season, so she's really only started her character development. I guess um, there's a lot more growth for her to achieve after this. Right. Well, she's technically human. She's not demon, but I understand what you're saying. Like she's been demon and she's kind of having to adjust from that. And then we have Cordelia coming. I was about to say some subtle growth too with Cordelia. Like if I'm going to extend that for Xander, like absolutely for Cordelia as well. Like she's not phased literally at all. He's like, oh, we might die tomorrow. She's like, oh. Right. I wrote that down in my notes. I was like props to both Cordy and Xander for being the most human out of the group. And yet Mm -hmm. they're the ones sticking it out. Like they recognize what's going to happen or will most likely happen. And they're like, nope, like we're staying around, which I think is huge for both of them. Well, and then Cordy hasn't really been with them the past like two episodes. So the fact that she's like unfazed by not knowing what's happening, she's like, okay, like, all right, (laughs) sounds good to me. Um, In Buffy's house, Buffy is packing up Joyce's stuff. Joyce walks in and for a brief moment, she thinks Buffy's running away again. Oh, so sad. And you're taking my clothes? (laughs) I love this scene because I feel like it's, number one, very realistic because, yes, get your mother out of there. But two, I think that this shows how much both Joyce and Buffy have grown individually and also together. I think this is – we haven't seen Joyce really embracing and slash understanding Buffy's role as a slayer a ton, like I know we talked about in the prom, like a little bit of a frustration about how she seems to like continually not be accepting that. But I think this moment right here, I think shows that maybe she does a little bit more than we've been giving her credit for. But even like the fact that Buffy can be this stern, but also not give as many details and Joyce just believes it. 
and accepts it right away, like really just goes to show that you could tell that they really worked on their communication. Like even the way the Buffy talks about it, she goes, mom, I know sometimes you wish I were different. And then Joyce is very quick with the Buffy, no. Um, and Buffy says, I wish I could be a lot of things for you. Um, I'm not, but there is something I can do that I can do better than anyone else in the world. And I'm going to fight this thing, but I can't do it and worry about you. You stay and you'll get me killed. You have to trust me on this, which is such a great way of explaining it. I really feel like she's saying like, I can't do what I need to do. Um, if I know that you're going to sitting in the sidelines and I'm going to be worried about you, like all of her friends have a very, um, willing part in the fighting aspect. Like they know what they're putting themselves up for. Whereas like Joyce is like, she's not old, but she's also not like physically capable and like everyone's going to be looking out for her. And like, I totally understand where Buffy's coming from. Well, the contrast between this speech, Joyce's response to becoming when Buffy gives Joyce that big speech and Joyce says, well, I just don't accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that instead of having Buffy leaving town this time, it's Joyce leaving town and it's because she understands Buffy's calling and because it's Buffy telling her to do it, I think shows how much their relationship has grown, but also shows how Buffy has even outgrown her need for her mom to be the one that's constantly calling the shots and telling her what she needs to do next and stuff. It's Again, this is another example of Buffy graduating the authority above her. And in a ways, you know, in some ways, this is Joyce listening to Buffy as the authority. And I think that's kind of interesting. Well, and I think it's also beautiful because it's like Joyce comes in thinking that Buffy's running and like all this stuff. And it's like Buffy's like, no, I'm just trying to protect you. I think this is probably one of the more underrated Buffy and Joyce moments that I always forget mm-hmm. about and I need to remember more. This one in the certain season four scene is mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Agreed. Um, we go to Willow's room. Poor Willow's having like a, like an identity. Not Trying identity to save crisis, Percy. But like, yeah, she's like, <laughs> she's like real scared. Um, she's like panicking, like researching spells in her books. Then she goes on to say, she's like, well, I'm not a witch. I can't even turn Amy back. Poor Amy. <laughs> I know. And then Oz makes like another joke. And I totally understand Willow's like snapping moment right here because I would too. Well, Oz is like... You got the swinging habit trail going. Mm-hmm. I think Amy's in a good place emotionally. And Amy the rat's like, um, I'd like to graduate. I'd like hands. Yeah, I'd maybe love she's my like, life. Maybe don't speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> my exactly. emotional is actually not good. <laughs> Hanging on by a thread over here. <laughs> oh my gosh, literally. The, I, my emotional state would be so all over the place if everything that happened. <laughs> like, I'm a literal rat. <laughs> Amy's like, um, I know the world is ending. But could you possibly speed it up and look for a spell for me at some point too, or maybe? But you also know that if all of Sunnydale was going to a black hole, no one would think of to go home and grab Amy the Rat. (laughs) So she would for sure go down with everyone. Amy's like, "What now? Apocalypse? What? I (laughs) I'm going to be stuck in this cage for forever." (laughs) If I were Amy, I'd be completely freaking out at this point. Y'all better let me out at least just for tonight. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to be in this cage. Let me survive or let me uh, at least witness everyone else graduating so that I can pretend as if I'm graduating. Yeah, she should have made her like a little cap and gown and brought her and been like, hey, here you go, Amy. Didn't nobody get Amy's a diploma? Well, I wonder if like pe- the family even had like a funeral or if everyone just knows she's a rat in someone's like house 
Or if like, what did they even say at graduation? This missing person, um, Amy. Yeah, let's all have a moment of silence for Amy. <laughs> for and Will's over there, or everyone like, else oh. too. Yeah, for the fifty people that got killed by vampires during the four years you were here, <laughs> or like in the Wish, where they're like, "All right, a monthly memorial." <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then Willow kind of snaps and it's like, "You keep being this ironic detachment guy," which you know, mood. Um. But then Willow's like, well, why don't you panic? Because I feel like I'm alone in this. And she starts rambling. And you see Oz's face being like, it kind of clicks for him. And he's like, oh, maybe I'm just, I feel like his clicking for him is more of like, oh, I should allow myself to feel. Not necessarily like I'm panicking because she's telling me to panic, you know? Yeah, I think for Oz, it's a mix of emotions because, you know, remember he told Mm -hmm. Willow back in amends that he didn't want to have sex with her because he wasn't there. He wasn't ready. Um, I, so I think Oz is realizing, well, one, he is ready, but two, he's going, if the world goes to pot, if we all die, I think he realizes that he'd regret not taking this moment with Willow if, Mm -hmm. if he were to die, you know? And so this is him panicking in quotations, basically seizing the moment. Um, Buffy is in the professor's house. She's looking around trying to find some sort of clues of why Faith would go and try and kill him. Uh, and then this scene where Angel comes in and trips. Isn't this David Boreanaz that they kept in? Well, they wrote this in. They, oh, um, they did. They wrote oh. it in for David Boreanaz to slip and stuff because he was notoriously clumsy and would fall all the time. Because it's written in the script. It says um, he bumps his head entering the room and then Buffy says that was stealthy. Gotcha. I thought for some reason, because I think I've seen like an outtake of this where he like comes in and he like trips or maybe it was in maybe it's in another episode because there was caution tape. Uh, well, I mean, there's we know in passion when he's bending down to talk to Giles when he's torturing him, David Boreanaz kept falling over all the time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Anthony Head was taking those really, really hot chili peppers or whatever to make himself like sweat and cry. <laughs> Could you imagine? You're like, David, get it together. Yeah, for <laughs> real. I'd be dying. Oh my gosh. I would not be able to focus, but that's also why I couldn't be an actor. Yeah, Leah could not be an actor. (laughs) All right, so Angel's like, I checked in with Giles. He asked me to back you up. And then Buffy says something really interesting. She talks about how she's going to run into Faith. And Angel's like, you're not worried about this? And she was like, it's going to happen sooner or later, which I think is really interesting. She knows there's a fight that's going to happen with Faith, um, which I think makes the end of this this episode really interesting. On top of the fact that we kind of breeze past it, but in the library, Buffy mentions to Giles, she goes, I don't think I could kill Faith. I don't have it in me. And she says, as fun as it might sound or as fun as it might seem or whatever, which I think is really interesting verbiage. And it kind of, it's just an interesting concept to think about as we go into the final fight. So then Buffy talks about how this guy was a volcanologist, volcanologist or something. um, And she has like a, a box of folders and angels like being all like chivalrous. He's like, here, let me like take the box for you. All right, let's go out the door. You go first. Like he's just being very kind. And Buffy's like, okay, what's going on? Like, what is this? I'm on Buffy's side with this. Is it nice that he's holding her box? Sure. But it's also like you show up to prom, we slow dance, and then you just disappear. And then you come back, you're like, let me hold your box. Here, you could walk in through the door first. I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, just, just be normal. Like, it's just so weird. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'd be really annoyed. I fully understand 
what Buffy is feeling in this moment. Like, are you mad at me for being around or for not being around enough? And she's like, yes. And the whole concept is she knows that this relationship is not going to work. And so it is so incredibly hard for her, the fact that she knows that he's around, but she can't see him. And so there's this push and pull, this longing. She doesn't want to feel this pain anymore. She wants him, but she knows she can't have him, but she wants she doesn't want him to go, but she does want him to go so that he's not around. And so it's like Buffy is just feeling a ton of emotions right here and it's completely relatable. It's not even about the fact that like she's like, oh, I want you around or I don't want you around. It's like she wants him around as her boyfriend. Like, yes. So when he is around and they're not together, she's like, I don't want you around. Which honestly, I totally get that. Like, yeah. if if I had someone who I was completely in love with and then they didn't want to be in a relationship with me. Like I, I, I get that like people are friends with their exes and stuff like that, but it would be so, so hard. I, I would literally move like across the country, you know? And I think Angel, like he's starting to get it. Like he says, are you just making this harder to make it easier on yourself? And it's like, yeah, yeah, she is. Because it's easier to push the person away and make them actually angry at you than have them just constantly longing to be with you and vice versa. I think about David, you remember the bears and I, when he's like, got the rope, he's like, get back, get back, go away. And it like breaks your heart. But like, it's easier to have them hate you than it is to constantly have the longing. What's that called? Um, It's like the whole, this whole spirit effect where he's like, he's like, leave. And he like hits him and like, it's like white fang. When you white fang something, oh, yeah. it's like from a book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, new girl. And Schmidt's doing that to Cece. And she's like, are you white fanging me? He's like, get out. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Man, new girl. Applicable to everything. All right. So then, okay, what do you guys think about this when Angel says, how can you ask me that just because I'm not acting like a brat doesn't mean I don't feel anything? I feel like this is them trying to hurt one another because they're hurting. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Angel's just kind of lashing out because he's in pain too. Yeah. Um, but he's like trying to do the right thing. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to hold someone accountable for that because it's like you just – you're irrational when you're going through a breakup or you're going through a, um, a hard fight with your significant other or something like that. It's hard not to say something that you really don't mean because yep. your emotions are so just all over the place. Yep. And that, that's no excuse to hurt somebody, but it is, I guess, understandable. It's a little bit more forgivable, I think, than someone that's like, I'm going to hurt you just because I'm a nasty person. I think it depends on what is being said to hurt the other person. I can hear something. I understand like the type of things they're saying is hurtful, but not like a low blow. Low blows to me are like, like you have to really grovel to apologize for that because I'm very, I keep a tight lid on a lot of things in my life. Like I'll joke about things because I'm like, yeah, I've, I've processed it, whatever. But there are like certain things where I'm like, if I express that to you, like that is something so harmful that if you ever use that against me, like that is like irredeemable for me in a lot of ways, especially in an argument. Like that is not the time to bring up something as a weapon. Um, that's not this case. I'm just saying like, I can understand people say things that they don't mean um, to kind of get the upper hand in an argument like this, or even just kind of express their pain in a way that's hurtful. But it's like not the expense of some something that is they know as a significant other or like someone who loves you is incredibly painful to that person that should never come out of your mouth, you know? 
It's like a massive betrayal. It is. You know, you're like, you're the person who I trusted so much that I'm going to tell you all these things about me. And then how dare you, you know, use them against me. I am a huge advocate for the fact that like if someone tells you something in confidence just because you're not together anymore doesn't mean you get to go and like talk about that with your friends. You know, it's different than having an argument. They say something that's crappy or they treat you crappily. That's different. But like there are certain things like they'll tell you and you're like, I like you have to remember this is a person. And like if you guys aren't together anymore, like that's still something they told you in confidence. You know, speaking of hurting while they're hurting each other, Faith throws an arrow or throws an arrow, shoots an arrow <laughs> right outside of Angel's heart. I'm sure the shock on Buffy's face, she was probably thinking like he was going to dust any second. That would be horrifying. Well, but I remember watching this and I, I literally was like, at first I was like, oh my gosh, like where did that arrow come from? And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's wooden. Like, And it's like, it takes a second and then it's like, oh, she wasn't aiming for the heart. But it's like in those few seconds. Yeah, I thought really Angel think, was about to die yeah. the first time I watched it. But could you imagine through an arrow, though? That would be so insulting to, like, the character of Angel. Could you imagine? Well, I just remember the first time I saw this because I didn't know any spoilers. And I knew – I was like, okay, Angel has to leave somehow. And so I legit thought he was going to die again. I was like, this is how they're writing him out of the show. I was like, it's clear they're moving him out somehow. I, like, I knew he had – yeah, I knew he had his own show and stuff. But I thought, okay, he's going to have to get resurrected on Angel or something like that. But 100% thought he was going to die. Like, seriously scary. Um, the Watcher's Diary actually makes a uh, a joke slash pun. They said, um, Faith shoots Angel from atop the Sunnydale cinema, proving once again, in quotations, the sun is bad for vampires. Because, you know, so she shoots in between the you and the sun. That is pretty funny. Thank you. I'm a sucker for puns. Me too. <laughs> I was cracking up. Also, it's um, – it's worth noting that this exact spot is where they had that whole interaction in Enemies when Faith came up to them and Angel told Buffy, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm safe as houses, that whole thing. It's also interesting, like we talked about earlier, that Faith knew that they were going to be there. So it's implied that she set them up, um, which I think is interesting because Buffy was all like, oh, no, Faith's not going to go back to the scene of her crime. It's one and done kind of thing. And yet, you know, even though Faith didn't go inside, she still did come back. So sloppy work on both sides. Um, in the library, I I love like the little, um, not, I guess not little, but like this interaction when like Buffy's like, okay, I'm going to pull it out on the count of three. One pulls it out and he's like, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> it just really shows that they really know each other so well. Like they like they've been together for so long that he's like, of course he did that. Okay, I just want to know: Did Buffy lug Angel all the way back to the library? Oh, I wish I could try to pull the arrow out before she got there. She's like, all right, we're just gonna keep it in, and then when we get back, we'll pull it. I was like, okay, no, 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 no. I was just hoping to see like a whole um about time situation where like the Drew picks up like the prince. I'm like, I wish yeah. I could have seen that. <laughs> her, like, walking Buffy all the Buffy carries Hill, Angel all the way there. She probably yeah. totally could. Yeah. Buffy says that she knows it's Faith. She's like, I've narrowed down my suspect list to one person. She obviously is targeting Angel because he cares, or Buffy cares a lot for him. But it's also because I think Angel made her feel something. That Angel actually was trying to speak to her humanity. And I think her trying to kill him is very pointedly, like, I'm not going down that path anymore. Like, I'm done with that. Also, it distracts Buffy. Yeah, I was about to say, it's definitely uh, got multiple facets because I think the reason that she didn't dis- dust him, she gave him the um, the poison was to distract Buffy. And then 
to make kind of Buffy choose, all right, do I want uh, Angel to be okay or uh, am I going to sacrifice my life for Angel? So it's the potential that they're either going to get rid of the Slayer or they're going to get rid of Angel, both of which would be good for them. And it's going to distract Buffy and not have her focus on her preparation for graduation day. And Faith gets to like drive one last stake in between Angel and Buffy, which mm-hmm. she always liked to do. Yep. Well, I don't think Faith knew there was a cure because like Buffy comes to her later and says there's a cure. So, which I'm like, okay, again, sloppy mayor and Faith. If you're going to do something like this, actually look up and see, okay, let's think, mm, it's a slayer that is going to cure Angel. Okay, Buffy's definitely going to sacrifice. No, there's another slayer. There's another option. Like, and I don't know. I don't even, I don't know. Maybe I'm just heartless, but it's like, <laughs> why wouldn't yes, she are. kill Faith? Like, Faith is the reason why he's dying right now. Faith is a danger to literally everyone. She also is part kind of like demonish, I guess, because she is a slayer. And so it's like there is that mystical aspect in her. So it's like I feel like she's not necessarily a human. There's just so many reasons where I'm like, I feel like killing Faith at this point is not yeah. even like it's like a no-brainer it's like yeah okay. it's like it's like when batman refuses to kill joker and you're like the dude has literally killed like <laughs> thousands of people at this point you're just being lazy batman come on like yeah and, and like, yeah. they always use the same argument as like as soon as you kill then then that's all that you become and i'm like um <laughs> if someone yeah. came home, it's not like he's gonna kill joker and then just run around knifing everyone if someone came into my home and then like killed people in front of me i'd have zero problem pulling a gun to them and killing them. I'm like, you just kill people. Right. And this is probably very controversial, but that's something that I'm getting frustrated with with the Marvel movies. Um, Just in general, it frustrates me when shows and movies feel like they can't ever kill the bad guy. They're like, we're not, we're just not going to kill them because, oh my goodness, that means that we're going to be like, go really evil and really dark. And it's like, listen, at the end of the day, this person, we all know if they had the chance and the opportunity will go kill so many people and mm-hmm. hurt them. It isn't, it isn't going to take away part of your soul. It isn't, if you're not doing it for vengeance, that's what corrupts your soul. It's the desire for vengeance. It's the desire to kill because you want to get even. Killing someone, and I get this is going to sound so bad, but like, Killing a bad guy and in order to save other multiple lives and stuff like that mm-hmm. is sometimes a decision. Like, that's what war is sometimes. Like, you know, I'm going to get so much hate mail for this. I'm not saying go out there and be like, woo, I'm not, you know, rah, 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 death. Goofy podcast. <laughs> We're okay with murder. Yeah, no, I'm not okay with murder. <laughs> no, I just think in this circumstance, it's like if Faith dies – another Slayer gets called that actually has the chance for redemption. And it's also like, at this point, Faith has caused so much death. She needs consequences. She needs consequences, but also yeah. her blood is literally the cure to Angel dying. Like, yeah. it's not even like a, we have to kill her because she's killing everyone else. But it also does bring up the fact, like, everyone wanted Angel dead because he was causing all this death. And and it's not like they didn't try. Like, there was multiple situations yep. where they tried many different tactics with like yeah. Faith, and she's stepped over all that many different times. So, like, at this point... Enough is enough. And let's, you know, let's let's be realistic here. Like, there are things that you can do that are so heinous that you just don't get to be a part of the world anymore. You yeah. just don't get to be a part of society. Agreed. And you could argue that, like, Faith has already made that choice. She's already killed multiple innocent people. Uh, she's already decided to um, literally help the mayor potentially wipe out an entire town on um, and maybe more. You know, like, she's made her choice. She's 
She's someone who uh, society would deem guilty um, if, if she were to be tried and executed and everything. But because this is supernatural, she's not going to be able to be tried and executed because she has, um, you know, the power to be able to break out and stuff like that. So someone like Buffy ha- kind of has to do something with it. Right. The only other option is to send her to the Watchers Council. And I don't know that that would be well received either because mm-hmm. who knows what they're going to do to her. I feel like that would be inhumane as well. There's just a lot of trickiness. So yeah, Faith, and it's not like Faith is a innocent victim here. She's made her choice and they the show has made that abundantly clear. And then Giles is like, oh my gosh, this means that the mayor actually might be able to be killed once he ascends. So there's Such a, a smart, possibility. Such a astute observation because it's like yes. if, if this is, if this carcass is the pure form of demon that's ascended, that means that there was an actual carcass, which means somebody killed it while it was in its pure form, which means that, you know, the mayor can be killed when he's like completely in his pure form, which is so smart. As we find that out, we also find out that Angel um, is poisoned because he stands up and then immediately collapses and says that his shoulder is numb. Wesley's like, you know what? I'll call the council. They have a list of known toxins. And Buffy, like, she's like, thank you. Like, she says thanks to him. And it's kind of nice to see, like, Wesley and Buffy kind of working together. And it's kind of nice to see Wesley, like, even being open to helping a vampire, too, which I feel like even he's kind of grown a little bit since we first met him. I actually like kind of who Wesley grows into. You know, in the beginning, he's like this super annoying nerdy guy but he kind of grows on you and he he becomes like um like our super annoying nerdy guy (laughs) (laughs) and then back in willow's bedroom amy is completely scarred for life (laughs) (laughs) has to watch them have sex she's like she's over there like shoveling guys guys guys, i'd like to be a human no no stop (laughs) oh my gosh that would be the, literally the worst. It's her own little, like, hell dimension. Yeah, right. Exactly. She's like, um, an apocalypse? Wait, what are you doing now? Didn't Boy, they cover Amy. it, though? Didn't they cover the cage? There's, like, clothes that are tossed. And it looks like maybe it's, like, on top of the cage, but it's not fully covering. So maybe Amy hit And you behind. still have to hear everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but is Amy, like, Amy the rat? Or is it, like, a rat that is hiding the soul of Amy. That's what I always question because I'm like, maybe she won't really remember much. I mean, Buffy did talk about when she was a rat, she just remembered like having an insatiable need for cheese and remembering like a few random things. So I don't That's know. That's what how I much- mean. So maybe it's not like like the literal soul of like <laughs> Amy just sitting there observing everything and being tortured or if it's like really just a rat that's hiding her soul behind. Either way, her existence pretty much sucks right now because she doesn't even get cheese when she wants. She can't even follow her own instincts. She's trapped in a cage. And if I knew that somebody I knew was trapped in a rat body, they would literally be so fat because all I would be doing is giving them treats. (laughs) I know. I'd be like, I feel so bad for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Would you like an entire block of cheese? (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time that we hear... Um, Willow and Oz's theme. I don't know if you guys caught that or not, but they have I a theme? personally, they have a theme. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you, Tabby. I didn't. Yeah, really did not know theme. that. <laughs> so I was like, you guys didn't catch that. Like, I don't know. 
guys didn't catch the pigeon that flew by for a split second that has a metaphor no, for a... <laughs> so you, <laughs> you know how the, at uh, Harvard they have like the Buffy class? Oh. I feel like Sarah should audition to be the professor that teaches the no, Buffy seriously. class. Dude, that this, would be my uh, podcast dream is done. job. Do it, Sarah. Just submit the entire uh, podcast repertoire as your resume. Like nothing Honestly. else. It's like this is this is how much I know about Buffy. <laughs> I mean, I would absolutely love it. But you know what? Everybody in this podcast has a role. My role is to be the one that comes up with all the facts and stuff. I'm like, uh, what's my role? <laughs> you just stop right there. My role? my role is to come up with all the facts. I'm the brains. I am the body. I am and the driving force of this podcast. We don't podcast. need anybody else. And then stop it there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tabby and Leah have the roles too. <laughs> and then there's Tabby and Leah. Um, okay, so this is um, Oz and Willow's theme. So yeah, you might you might not have caught it before, but their theme will come back. It's most notable in a certain yeah, episode. To, well, I was about to say, I was like, I recognize it as soon as you yes. like, oh no. Yes. No, but their theme, you guys can hear it briefly in this in this scene, which I really, really love. I don't know. I I can't pick a favorite because obviously Bangel's iconic, um, Jenny and Honestly, Giles Jenny's is. and Giles is oof, that one hits me. And the fact that like it's in A Fire Love by um Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. And that was my favorite album of his. And that was like one of my favorite songs. And not knowing that he like sampled it, I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. If you guys ever want to cry, go onto YouTube and someone put a compilation of all of the couple themes and it just will make you sob. Yeah, David's like, beautiful. no. Yeah, no, thank you. Also, I crack up every time you have this moment where Willow gets the phone call and she doesn't even say goodbye. She just like says hello, listens, and then hangs up and is like, all right, we got to go. Such a TV thing to like not say I was goodbye. about to say, I was like, I I was watching something. I don't remember what it was a few weeks ago. And then I like thought about that. I was like, man, why does no one ever say goodbye in these phone calls? And everyone thinks it's normal. Like mid-sentence, they'll just hang up and be like, all right. I'm like, what? I'd be so mad. Yeah, imagine you're on the other side and right? the phone just hangs up. You're like, okay. Giles is over there like, Willow. Like Willow. this is the last straw. They've been so rude to me the past years. I'm never talking to them again. Y'all can have Wesley. I'm going to go retire. Just like screw you too, Willow. In the mayor's office, Faith comes in telling him about her latest conquest when it comes to killing and or harming everyone around her. Um, tells him about Angel. The mayor says he has to eat. He has to eat some spiders beforehand, and she like makes a joke. She's like, "Ew, you're nasty." Oh, so the mayor tells her to take it easy for a night. And you can see Faith kind of being like, no, give me something to do because she's like living on this like adrenaline rush. Um, I was just going to say, like, I also think that she really is still trying to please the mayor. And so I think that anytime he doesn't give her a job, she feels like she is leaving him unsatisfied. Mm, She's not useful. Also, there's probably a part of Faith that doesn't want to actually sit and think. You know how it mm-hmm. is? She probably wants to just keep busy because if she actually has to stop and like realize what she's doing, she's going to have to be confronted with all of the demons and things that she's been doing, you know? Or even the montage in a little bit like 
you see like people sitting around watching Angel that he you know while he's dying, and then you get like this little like flashback of Faith like training in the room. She's not just sat home like chilling, and even when she's sitting on her bed when Buffy comes, like she's listening to music so loud, like the girl's doing something so that she's not alone with her thoughts. Before we jump to that scene real fast, I wanted to talk about this story that Faith tells the mayor because I'd always been kind of like, okay, this is this is weird. Like, why is this here? Why are we like really delving into that? And I think I will talk about the reason I think that this is in here, the main reason because it comes later, but I think that it's meant to once again humanize Faith. I think we're supposed to see that this is an actual person here um, that she possibly still has some humanity in there. I think it's also supposed to show her relationship with the mayor and how it's progressed. And then I think it's just reflexive of her age too. Like I think that this is just a young girl that desperately seeks approval and that didn't really have much of a childhood. Um, so yeah, but the the other reason is something really interesting, which we'll talk about in a minute. So just keep that in your mind, listeners. But she also mentions that her mom called her firecracker. And you kind of see her teeter-totter in in between this like, oh, I feel comfortable around him. And then things start slipping out. And then her like, as soon as she says that, she goes, all right, anyway, she kind of jumps right back into like, what do you want me to kill? Like, it's like she's channeling that energy of like sadness and or, I mean, we, we don't even really know much between her relationship with her mom, but it doesn't sound good. So it's like, even when she's feeling that pain, she immediately reverts it back into aggression. Um well, and I think then, it also shows that she's willing to be vulnerable with the mayor because he was kind of kind to her earlier on. It's showing how their relationship is progressing, which But also again, it shows the steps between how many times it takes for somebody who's emotionally not there or emotionally available to – it takes a lot um, for them to really open up. So she first mentions, oh, my mom – called me a firecracker. And then she mentions, okay, I want to go kill right after that. She feels uncomfortable. And then they have this another sweet moment. So this is the second one. He mentions that like, he'll still need her for like the graduation day. And she says like, so you'll still need me out there. And he says, always. And then she feels comfortable mentioning that story. And the whole time she's saying it, like the mayor's eyes is just so endearing. Like I was looking at him mm-hmm. as like a character and he's like listening. Like I really like, I feel the connection between them two in this scene. Well, and I think this is also an extension of what they were talking about earlier on when he was saying, this is your time to shine. I think Faith is yeah. like really starting to be like, wow, I'm becoming someone. I'm starting to become more myself. I am becoming more confident and comfortable. This is who I'm meant to be. And so again, it's leading to this confrontation between Buffy and Faith. This is the simulation that's happening here. And then typical, typical, everyone sending Xander off to do random errands. <laughs> and he like tells her what to do and, or she tells him what to do and he runs out um, and bumps into Anya again. She goes off and says like, hey, like you should come with me. I have everything packed. We can take turns like keeping each other awake and, and driving. Um And then he's like, no, like I'm staying. And she's like, well, you're going to die if you stay here. And he says, I guess I might. Which like props to Xander. Like I really feel like it's showing – like he talks about like in the beginning of the episode how he's like, I'm scared I'm going to die in this robe, blah, 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 blah. But it's like here he's like, I don't really care if I die. Like I'm going to be fighting alongside my friends, which is – Really cool. Yeah, good for Xander. Like, he had a way out. The script even says, like, after she says, why not? We could just get in the car and drive. No one would miss us. We could take turns driving. And then it says, he looks like he might actually be considering it. So she drives the point home. And I think it's interesting, too, because 
Xander was reading that book, I think back in, was it the prom, that was talking about how he wasn't going to even go to college. He wanted to go out on the open road. He wanted to travel around. So it's Anya to him. is mm-hmm. actually like giving – it's a pretty girl, one that's into him. She's going to get him out of danger. And like they can just go drive, which was what he was wanting to do after mm-hmm. graduation anyway. And he says no, which I think, again, mm-hmm. Xander should get more props for that. Yeah, it's definitely a big character moment for him. It's the only time I'm beginning to give props to season. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to season four. Let's see if you're. you're yeah, we're just yeah, gonna exactly. give him like a stamp of just decent. Like everyone yeah. else yeah. is like great, C+. excellent, and then you're like, you know what? This <laughs> is the bare minimum. Good job. <laughs> yeah, Xander gets a D, like barely passing for most of the time, but he's like a C, C plus this time. <laughs> Literal. Um, well, and then she says like. Well, when I think that something might happen to you, it feels bad inside, like I might vomit. It was so cute. And Xander, and like, welcome to the world of romance. He knows she cares about him, which is like, again, he's choosing to turn down this girl that like cares mm-hmm. about him. She's like, it's horrible. No wonder why I used to get so much work. <laughs> what a good scene. And then as he's walking away, she's like, fine, I hope you die. Aren't we going to kiss? <laughs> oh, Anya. Queen of the contradictions. <laughs> so Angel's sleeping in his bed, um, all sick. And this like mirrors earshot. I put that down. Like she takes like a wet washcloth and is kind of like patting it like his forehead, which is what he did for her when she could hear everyone's thoughts. This is like the third time that she said, it's okay, you'll be okay. And you can tell she's saying it more for herself than for him mm-hmm. at this point. Like she's like, you have to be okay. She walks out into like that big, huge gigantic living or whatever that is. Wes says that he reached the council and then they wouldn't help. Yeah. And well, and Wesley says, we're talking about laws that have existed longer than civilization. And Buffy says, I'm talking about watching my lover die. I have no clue what you're talking about and I do not care. Well, and I think that like we've seen Buffy like grow away from the council all this season. Mm-hmm. Like We have seen it mm-hmm. push her farther and farther away. And she really at this point was just kind of putting up with them. Like, yeah. And I think this was the final straw of her being like, who cares? Like, who cares what the council says? Who cares what the council is or isn't doing? Like, they never do anything anyways. Like, I'm going to save the people I want to save because that's always what I do anyways. Plus, let's be real. Like, if if my wife was poisoned and dying and I knew that the only way to save her was to go against, like, the company I worked for or, like... I don't know, even the local laws. Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, company, but I'm not working for you anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to choose her over you guys every single time. And if my boss is listening to this, then sorry. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be funny, actually, if my boss is like secretly a Becoming Buffy fan. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't tell you. He's like embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then this iconic line of they're in England. I don't think they can tell which way my back is facing, which is funny, but it also is like also literally true as well. Like they just don't know what she's doing, the ins and outs of everything. And again, the whole, I I like to think of it as graduation. We're seeing Buffy throwing off all of the authority that is toxic, that is um, repressive. But it's also not helpful to her as like a person. You know? Right. 
Oh, okay. So this moment with Giles, I mean, obviously this moment is super empowering for Buffy and I'm like, yes, go off queen. But Giles's decision to not say anything verbally, in a, like we talked about before, yet pointedly standing next to Buffy speaks volumes. He's giving the floor back to her by letting her say what she needs to while making it very obvious that he stands with her. And it's powerful in how it gives Buffy all the power. Because Wesley looks to Giles to overrule Buffy. Because he's like, hey, mm-hmm. like, he speak sense. Let's go. And Giles says, I have nothing to say and goes and stands next to her. Like, oh my gosh, we need to take more notes from Giles. Like, so empowering. Giles doesn't give Buffy permission to do this. He just backs up her decision 100%. Yep. And I think that that's what a lot of men uh, fail to recognize um, when it's talking like respecting women or believing women or listening to them, um, or validating them in like workspaces or, or academia or whatever, they don't need your permission to be good at whatever it is that they're doing. They don't need your permission or your, your, um, I guess validation to be good at their job or good at academics. Um, if you want to support, then that's awesome. But Buffy doesn't need Giles's permission to go and do this. She's made her decision and he's not like allowing her to go do it or anything like that. And I think that's, that's pretty cool to see in this. Yep. Which is in direct opposition with what Wesley and the uh, watches council are trying to do. And I think that Joss pointedly made that distinction very evident right here. And I think it's very interesting that Wesley, as much as he is irritating in this scene, he still is speaking some truthful things. Like he says, don't you see what's happening? Faith, boys and angel to distract you, to keep you out of the mayor's way. And it's working. Well, Mm -hmm. Faith and the mayor, they specifically say that that is their Mm -hmm. strategy. So I love that we have Wesley here. It's the same thing in choices. Like he's not giving bad takes, but he's also too rigid in how he's viewing things. He's not willing to bend. Yeah, I really don't think Wesley's a bad guy. Like I kind of like Wesley. He just, he, he's a company man, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the, the organization that he works for doesn't have Buffy or Angel's best interests at heart. And he's a little too loyal to the Washer's Council instead of to uh, the Slayer who he's being tasked to help right now. Yeah, Wesley hasn't had his graduation yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that seeing the stark contrast between all these characters is important because not everything is as black and white as it is. Everyone knows that, but it's also like every situation is a lot more nuanced and rather than then like angel was a like a distraction he could be but also let's think of outside the box let's we can think of ways to cure him and also catch faith i think giles's ripper days kind of give him a leg up over wesley in that he's had uh, a phase of like rebelling against authority and breaking rules and experimenting with magic and and stuff that's a little bit taboo so it kind of gives him I like more of an edge and more of a um, uh, balance past of like, yeah, being able to, to say like, no, I'm not going to follow you, even though you're in charge, technically in charge. I don't think Wesley's ever had that. Wesley strikes me as like, you know, the kind of guy who like went, grew up in a privileged household, went to Oxford and then applied to be like a junior uh, watcher. And then was like groomed through the watcher society. Right. It's like very much just, that's what he's used to is just like following the order and and not questioning authority and things like that. Yeah. All right. So Buffy's like, all right, I can't sit around. I got to go help other people. Giles is like, I'll call you if something happens. Um, Buffy leaves and goes to the classroom and finds out from Willow and Oz that there is a cure 
but that it is you have to drain the life of a slayer, which is really interesting because both Willow and Oz are like, okay, well, this obviously clearly is just not going to happen. And Buffy's like, oh, no, this is actually perfect. And you can see Willow immediately. She recognizes like she knows what Buffy's going to do. Probably well, Buffy's even before face everyone is else very uh, resolved. She has yep. said. Yep. She says, it's perfect. Angel needs to drain a slayer. I'll bring him one. And Buffy's like, but if Angel drains Faith's blood, it will kill her. And Buffy says, not if she's already dead, which is different than what she said earlier and is like a little jarring. I never really understood uh, the the way to cure Angel is to drain the life of a slayer. But if the slayer's already dead, does that still work? I think he can still know. like if she's freshly dead, he probably can still drain all of her blood and stuff is my guess. But yeah, I don't know. But that speaks. I think regardless, it speaks to Buffy's mindset and where she's at. Like she's determined that no matter whether it's Angel or her, someone's going to kill Faith and Faith's like there's no there's no way around it. If I were Buffy, I understand bringing in a knife is all like it's very, you know, poetic, symbolic, poetic, all that sort of stuff. But it's like for me, I'm like, if I'm gonna try to savor all the blood why would i like stab her in the stomach if she bleeds out and dies it's true i'd like want to snap her neck or strung her up or something you know i don't Not feel like buffy's graphic, thinking but. rationally right now i think buffy's thinking vengeance yeah i'm like the way that i would do it i'm just kidding yeah yeah to murder for the second i mean um if i were to ever murder <laughs> All right, this conversation with Xander is really fascinating. Xander's like, I'm afraid to lose you. And I, I I, love that we have these little moments. I think throughout the series, there are tons of these great moments between Xander and Buffy um, where he's just like, we're talking to the death. I don't want to lose you. Um, and Buffy's like, oh, no, don't worry. I won't get hurt. And Xander's like, that's that's not what I mean. And Buffy just looks at him and she grabs the knife and then just says, just get me an address. And it's all pointing to where Buffy's mindset is. And it's kind of like, okay, where's this heading? What's she going to do? What is she ultimately going to choose? And I, I think even to talk about that, like we can all agree that maybe Faith has to die. But there's a big difference between saying like, oh, Faith has to die. And now Buffy's going to kill her. You know, yeah. um, like, what is that going to do to Buffy if she now has to kill some, kill a human, even a human that deserves to die? Like, it takes a toll on your, your soul to kill another person, even if that killing is justified, even if it's in war, even if that other person's a murderer or whatever. Like, yeah, there's a reason why, you know, cops and soldiers and stuff like that get PTSD. Like the uh, the killing portion of it is is difficult. And I think that Xander's worried that that's going to change Buffy in some way. Yeah. Well, I think he's concerned about where her headspace is at. And it's not a, okay, I, this is inevitable. I need to go fight her. This is a, okay, I want to go kill her now. I am looking forward to it, which is very, very different. Uh, the script is really interesting in like the montage uh, that comes up next. Joss writes, Buffy splashes water on her face. She takes a moment to look in the mirror, which again, I think is supposed to be like the physical representation of the metaphor of like mm -hmm. Buffy looking at her mirror self and being like, all right, what am I going to choose? Um, and then in Faith, it says, we see various angles of Faith's working out, punching her punching bag, looking at her dress that the mayor gave her in front of the mirror, sitting in her bed, reading comic books, listening to music. Like that's something that Buffy does on a normal basis 
daily basis. Like they're showing how both of them are kind of morphing into the other person, which is really interesting. Or even when they're trying to reject the other person so much, like in the quietness when it's just them two, like they're able to see different aspects about themselves. So Faith is listening to Spectator Pump's Sunday Mail. She looks like she's got some candy she's chewing on. And we have the moment where turn around and there is Buffy dressed like Faith standing there turning off the stereo. Um, according to stunt coordinator Jeff Pruitt, stunt double Sophia Crawford was uncomfortable with Buffy's signature leather pants since she felt they were preventing her from kicking freely. But, you know, she looks great. So who cares? <laughs> I love the angles of this because, like, you could tell that she's – The power stance. Yeah. She's kind of calm in the situation, which is not how I would picture Buffy kind of being. I think she just, she's already made that decision mm-hmm. where she's like, I'm going yep. to kill Faith yep. and that's it. And there's no like conflict anymore. She's just like, I'm going to do it. Well, even like the energy has switched between them because like Buffy is just very assured. She's very much like, this is what's going to happen. And then as soon as Buffy mentions like, like, well, Faith asks her, what's the cure? And she's like, your blood. You see Faith's eyes go like horrified. She, she like scared. Gulps. She has mm-hmm. the decency to look a little frightened. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because Passion the Nerd talks about how Faith has been trying to push Buffy's buttons this entire season. Like we've talked about the seduction and all this stuff. Like she's trying to find the thing that is going to get Buffy to stoop down to her level. And she finally found it. By hurting Angel, Buffy is to that point where she's like, all right, I, I'm here. I'm here now. And she says that. She faces, look at you all dressed up in big sister's clothes. Buffy says, you told me I was just like you, Faith, that I was the one holding it in. And Faith says, you ready to cut loose? And Buffy says, try me. Faith says, okay, then give us a kiss, which we've talked about in Enemies, how that kiss that Faith gives to Buffy on the forehead was supposed to be kind of symbolic of Faith has made her choice. She's now dealing mm-hmm. with, she's ready to deal with the consequences, whatever. Like it, it was a it was a crossroads and Faith chose. This moment where Faith is saying, give us a kiss is like the seduction once again coming out of, are you going to bite? Are you going to give me a kiss? Basically accepting the fact that you are just like me and this is a crossroads moment. And it's just very, very powerful. Or just a betrayal, like in general, like the the Judas kiss is a betrayal. So the fact that like Faith kissed Buffy as a betrayal and then she's asking Buffy to kiss Faith as Buffy portraying herself in that moment. Faith understands that Buffy is going to cross a line and she's relishing in it in a, in a little bit. And it, honestly, I kind of feel like Buffy is – there's a part of Buffy that is as well. You can see an excitement in Buffy's face, almost like a – like we're going to go up against each other. Which of the Slayers is going to come out? There's a side of Buffy that is excited about this um, and you can – You can even see that, especially after she punches Faith. It's very interesting. All right. So this fight between Faith and Buffy has got to be within my top 10 favorite moments in the series overall. It is just brutal. It's animalistic. It's so well – the suspense has been brought up so well. Like We've been – aching to see them go at it since I think revelations um, probably even earlier than that as soon as Faith was introduced you're like oh who's going to win like I want to see this um, the choreography is just fantastic I could watch it over and over again I 
I love it. This is probably the most brutal fight in Buffy, for sure. Like the most visceral. Like every sometimes Buffy can be a little like flashy and cheesy with their fights, but in this one, like anytime a punch lands, you're like, "Ooh, that looked like I get hurt." Like it's so um, I don't know, so so realistic, and you're you're you actually feel like, man, these two are fighting to kill each other. Well, this is also the first time where Buffy is really fighting an equal. Mm-hmm. Yes, like every time she has fought someone, she is stronger. Like, I think the only one who got close was Angel, but that was mainly because mentally he was beating her up as well. But she has always been stronger. The music, too, is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. It, The thing that I love about Buffy is – and props to Jeff Pruitt and Sophia Crawford. Every single fight that's choreographed is done with the emotions and the strengths and the abilities of each character brought into play. And so it makes them so much more interesting. I feel like so many shows today, like looking at you again, CW, every fight's the same. Like they all look the same and there's a lot of cutbacks, but because they, I mean, and you can very clearly tell the stunt doubles and stuff, but I mean, they still do a very good job of the cuts back and forth. You still get a feeling of the raw power that's actually happening because you actually have people like trying to hit one another. Um, And one of my favorite moments is that Faith goes to punch Buffy at one point and Buffy rolls out of the way and Faith just punches the ground and you hear this, "Ah!" like, it's so good. It's, it gives me chills every time. Um. When asked about the fight, Sophia Crawford said this. She said, Faith's more animal-like and Buffy is more of a martial arts expert. So when we fight together, our styles are compatible. And Karen Shepard, Eliza Dushku's stunt double, has so much determination and so much aggression that when she comes at you, when we're rolling, you'd better be prepared. But that's what I love about her, though, because sometimes when two women fight, they might be a little bit gentle with each other. Like, oh, I don't want you to, you know be hurt me or whatever. But she goes, but with Karen, man, no way. No holds barred. She's really great. So I looked up Karen Shepard because I was like, who is this phenomenal woman? Okay. So Karen began starring in action films after becoming the first woman to be officially rated number one world black belt forms champion. That's for both men and women. She often fought against men. Um, She held that title for two consecutive years, 1979 to 1980. In another bold move, Karen organized to have that title established for women. Competing with men, Karen was the only woman rated in the top 10. She believed more women would compete if they had a title to work for. After Karen rallied tournament promoters, competitors, and leading a petition, women martial artists' competitions ended up with a historic win. Uh, Karate Illustrated Magazine, the only rating system existing at that time, finally established official separate ratings for women in 1979. It's because of her. She like she sounds like an absolute beast. I just looked her up, and she's freaking jacked too. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I would be afraid to fight her. (laughs) Right. I mean, she fought. She goes up against men, which is so hard because you know there's men tend to be a little bit bigger, and sometimes I'm not all the time, but sometimes stronger. And oh man, props to her. She sounds like an absolute beast. She's she's the type of uh, person who, if she had come around today, she'd probably like fighting in the UFC and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So Buffy and Faith crash through the window and Faith seems kind of dazed. Buffy grabs Joyce's handcuffs, <laughs> handcuffs Faith to her and says, stick around. Again, reaffirming and showing that Buffy is determined to finish this. Like she's not letting Faith get away. 
then a couple flashbacks to Angel not doing well, the mayor chewing his spiders and the vampire looking like very grossed out, which, okay, if a vampire is grossed out, chances are what you're doing is really nasty. <laughs> yeah, you're grossing out an actual demon there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, another vampire like bursts into the office and mayor's like, oh, we don't knock during dark rituals. <laughs> the mayor's actually kind of funny. Like, uh, he, he's probably the the funniest villain um so far at least i agree yeah he's got he's also scary but at the same time he's just hilarious so the mayor is like oh my gosh something's happening at faith's and i think this line is absolutely spectacular buffy says what's the matter faith all that killing and you're afraid to die i was like "Ooh, like emotional damage on top of all the physical damage that she's given her yeah for real i feel like that's buffy's specialty is just like Hitting them with the emotional jabs as she's beating them up. Both the funny ones and the deep ones. The script says, the look in Faith's eyes says she is. She strains at the cuff and it snaps the two girls rolling away from each other. Faith grabs makeshift weapon and Buffy draws Faith's knife. Which, Buffy just knows exactly where to hit Faith. She knows that Faith has been jealous of her this entire time of her life and what she has. And by Buffy pulling out the one thing that was gifted to her, that one thing that was hers. From the mayor, too. From the mayor, someone who is like hers and using it against her. Woo! It's cold. It's also kind of poetic justice simply because that's the Mm -hmm. weapon that Faith has killed everyone with. So it's like Buffy kind of being like, now it's your turn to kind of feel what it's like. Yeah, and that thing looks gnarly too. I would not. I think I feel like you'd be dead from being stabbed with that thing. It's not. It's not a small knife. Well, and then when she stabs her, like Faith goes, "You did it." Yeah. Do you guys think that after Buffy stabs Faith, which she does without any hesitation, it's just like mm-hmm. wham, and then she her face changes. What do you guys think that look is? I think it's just like she feels sad and pained and also the for the fact of herself being the one to actually stab faith is very jarring i don't think she regrets it i don't know i mean uh, to a certain degree i think she might only because it's like it's a human being but like at a certain point like we talked about like things need to be done also kind of like what i was saying before like you can say hey faith needs to die but it's a whole other thing to like actually stab someone and then mm-hmm. you know she probably looked down and be like oh wow really did it Mm -hmm. like you know faith is surprised but i'm sure there's a little bit part of buffy that's surprised too Mm -hmm. the script says um faith uppercuts buffy halfway across the roof buffy lands hard on her back faith you did it there is both confusion and pride in her voice as she looks at her prone counterpart you killed me which i think back to enemies where faith says to her kill me and you become me you're not ready for that i think Um, yeah i think she's a little impressed yeah, well, I don't think she actually thought that she would do yeah. that. Um, and the way that the script says it, like Buffy can't get up because she's winded, but the way that it's played in the episode, it almost feels like Buffy is like trying to let Faith get away. Um, but I don't know. It could be played off ambiguously. What do you guys think about Faith saying you should have been there, Buff, quite a ride? Uh, maybe she's talking about like her kissing Angel. That's kind of what I was thinking maybe. I don't know. 
So there's an interesting correlation between Faith's story of being the only kid willing to jump off the rock, making it a point to say that none of the older kids wanted to, just like she says that Buffy is dressed up in big sister's clothes, and her leap off of the building onto the truck. She's possibly telling Buffy that she was missing out on the fun to be had on the dark side, as Passion of the Nerd noted, a life she wanted to share with Buffy, but Buffy refused to you know, participate. Faith's refusal to let Buffy kill her can be seen in two ways. Because Faith jumps off here, refusing to let Buffy take her to Angel. So you could see it in one of two ways. She doesn't want to give Buffy the satisfaction. Or two, she's choosing to save Buffy from having to go all the way in killing her and thus becoming her. Um, And it's something interesting to think about because we don't have to see if Buffy would have fully morphed into Faith and actually followed through with feeding her to Angel because Faith doesn't let her. And Passion of the Nerd talks about how this episode is about, you know, Buffy's integration with her shadow side. And I tend to kind of lean towards the second because I lean towards Faith sacrificing herself as a way of preventing Buffy from having to make that choice since Buffy is also a reflection of Faith. So in taking that leap to save Buffy – And doing what no one else is willing to do. Ironically, in her last moments here, Faith is the most like what she was meant to be, what she was called to be, a slayer. Because Faith is actually being sacrificial in this moment. At least that's how I choose to interpret it. I think that's a nice thought. I (laughs) I think it's petty. I think especially the line, especially the line before him where she says, "Still won't help your boy though," and then she falls. For me, there's mm-hmm. no real subtext. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you could die. Yeah, I think I think Faith is like, yeah, you got me. Good for you. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to help you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be a mix of both, though. Like, I don't think it can be all one thing. I think there's – for Faith, it's like, yeah, if I jump up, you don't get the satisfaction. But I think – I honestly truly believe that there's a part of Faith that doesn't want Buffy to have to fully make that choice and that decision. But regardless, at the end of the day, like – Buffy saved from having to make that um, decision, which I'm a little bummed by. I'm like, I kind of want to, I want kind of want to see what would happen, but I understand why they choose not to do that. It's hard because you, if you have like a a main character that's supposed to be really good, watching them literally like kill somebody and then feed their blood to your boyfriend is gonna kind of ruin <laughs> the character of Buffy just yeah. a little bit after yeah. that because you'd be like, dang, Buffy, like that was brutal. Yeah. You know, and it's going to be kind of hard to see her the same way again. I agree. I feel like it would have kind of been uh, a no turning back point for sure. But man, guys, could you imagine? Because I know the next episode was uh, postponed due to Columbine. Could you guys imagine having to go months without knowing what happened? Being like, is Faith dead? Is Angel dead? Like, what's what's going to happen here? I, I would be so livid. Yeah, that would be terrible. Um, I know, like... Some of my favorite shows I watched as they were coming out, like Breaking Bad, and the last season, there would literally be like the episode would end, and I would be I would like tear my hair out because like I can't even wait till next week to find out what happened. Um, so I can't even imagine. Then it's delayed, and now you have to wait months just for the part two of the season finale. That'd be so frustrating. All right, guys, that was graduation day part one. We hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to know your guys' thoughts. What do you guys think? is Faith's reason for jumping off of the ledge. Do you think she's doing it to be petty? Do you think she's doing it because she's trying to save Buffy? There's a lot of subtext in this episode, and I think a lot is up for interpretation. So I'm 
curious what you guys all have to say about it. Thanks again, David, for joining us. And we look forward to you being back with us in season four, which is going to be yeah, an absolutely. absolute blast. So I'm looking forward to it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, guys. And you can follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next week for the finale.